All right, we are in a year-long focus on what is the church, and now we are focusing on church finances and how this all goes down. And for some of you, uh, for a lot of you, you grew up in church, you've been around church, but maybe you've never thought of what are the church finances supposed to be like when it comes to, like, in the Bible, and does the Bible have anything to say? And maybe you're just coming in and you don't know anything about the church, or you see you know, church preachers, TV preachers, and you've heard all of that and stereotypes and perceptions and perceptions, reality and all this. And you're like, oh, no, this is the week I decided to come. <sighs> Sorry. Um, we'll start a series on Jesus in four weeks. So we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But right now we're we are in a series starting this series about church finances and what God has to say about this. And, 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 and this study cycle, I start studying for series uh, 12 weeks in advance. Uh, this study cycle has been completely unique because I started studying and like God put the brakes on and he had me just, just go even farther deeper into what all this is about. And the new ones, it's like there's nothing new here, right? For those of you that have been around church, there's nothing new. God wants you to be generous, right? Like there's nothing new. But at the same time, the nuances and the brilliance of the system that he came up with is amazing, is quite amazing. And so this week, we're going to take a look at the Old Testament concept of, of giving and the system that God set up with his people back in the Old Testament. Next week, we're going to be, be looking at the New Testament the week after that, God's vision for money in general. And then the week after that, uh, kind of how are we supposed to handle our money in light of all of this? Like, so that you know, this sermon, really every sermon in this series could be an hour long. Yeah, 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 let's not do that. So in my attempt to keep it to, you know, 20, 25 minutes, I have made an expanded uh, uh, study guide. An expanded study guide. This week's is every verse in the Old Testament that, that went into my thinking to this, to this sermon in particular. Every, every verse in the Old Testament, every chapter in the Old Testament that talks about this is, is in this study guide with, with some backdrop and questions and etc. Uh, you can find that in our uh, uh, event in the Bible app. Download the Bible app on your uh, uh, tablet or smartphone. Look for the event, Crosspoint Fellowship. You have to save the event to come back to this Bible study guide, uh, but it's in there in a PDF uh, in, in that event, and the instructions there are on the screen. We're going to start in Malachi chapter 3. That's where, where we're going to be today. That Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. God goes silent for 400 years after Malachi. So these are kind of the most important words he's got to say in 400 years, right? And so these are big, this is a big deal. But at, at the same time, this is putting a capstone on God's system of giving in the Old Testament. Everything that he said up, up until this point is actually going into this section of verses. And so Malachi chapter 3, again, you can follow along in the event. We'll throw the scriptures up on the screen. You can follow along in the hardbound Bible. If you find Matthew, just turn left and you'll find Malachi. Since the days of your fathers, uh, verse 7, 3, 7, you have turned from my statutes and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, said the Lord of hosts. But you asked, how can we return? Did we ever leave you? I don't know we left you. We still worship you. We still show up at the temple. We still do our thing at the temple. When did we ever leave you? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? You ask, how do we rob you? 
by not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions, you are suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. So a few questions rise up. One of them are directly in the, is, is directly in these verses. If God owns, as Psalm says, if God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, a.k.a. if God owns it all, how on earth could we ever rob God? Secondly, a question that is two and three or the same question. What on earth, especially in our, our, our view of giving, how on earth or what on earth does a storehouse and food have anything to do with the tithe? How can we rob God? And what on earth does food have to do with the tithe? You know, a few weeks ago, those of you that are familiar with the uh, uh, old school version of pounding, where you show up and you give ministers, new ministers, uh, food, generally before the expiration date, but we've experienced that as well after the ex- expiration date. Like, is that what we're supposed to show up with cans and stuff to church and put that in the offering plate? And our poor, you know, ushers are like getting a workout because all these cans are in the offering plate. Now, no. This has to do with everything previously talked about in the Old Testament when it comes to giving. See, this was an agricultural society. They didn't have money necessarily. Some of them did, especially now where they're more advanced. But when it comes back to to the very beginning, it was an agricultural society. All they had to give was what they grew out of the ground. That's what they had to give. So when you go back in the Old Testament... The tithe was for those who couldn't make earn a living on their own. First and foremost, the priest, the Levite. More Old Testament history. Israel was separated into 12 tribes. Into 12 tribes. And each one of those 12 tribes was going to get an, an inheritance of the promised land. And so they could make and earn a living with that land from the promised land. Either they could plant crops or they could learn a trade. And they could earn a living. But there was another, there was a 13th tribe in Israel. It was the Levite tribe. It was the priest tribe. They had two job descriptions. Number one, bear the iniquity of all the people. That's quite the job description now, isn't it? You're going to bear on your shoulders the sin of the people of Israel. Sign me up, right? That's exciting. And the second one, the second one was they were to be in charge or take care of at first the tabernacle and then the temple. And so they had this twofold job description. They were not going to inherit any land. Their trade was to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. But they couldn't go out and learn a trade like blacksmithing. Or they couldn't go out and have land so that they could plant crops. God himself said, I am going to be your inheritance. That's a nice, warm, fuzzy, spiritual thought, but that doesn't put food on the table, now does it? So how were they going to live? This brilliant community building exercise that God led them to it's brilliant you had 12 tribes who could earn a living you had one tribe who couldn't so that one tribe was fully dependent upon the 12 to tithe in order to earn a living 
Doesn't that build trust amongst the group? Amongst the community? Doesn't that build dependency amongst the, the entire group, the entire community of people? Isn't that a building community building exercise? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And if one if the twelve tribes didn't come through, one of their very own was going to suffer. That's community building. We tithe because it benefits others. We tithe because it benefits others. We're generous because it benefits others. As God is saying here, you're robbing me. Hold on. That's not what God's really saying. P.A. Jared, I need your help. Jared, stand here. P.A. over, over here. All right? I just wanted everybody to see your shirt. Okay. So Jared is the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm God. He is the Levites, all right? He represents the Levites. So Jared is not tithing, all right, which is affecting this group of people. He's hungry, right? Him and his family is hungry. God is stepping in between these two and saying, you're robbing me. See what he's doing here? See what he's doing? He is defending the one that is powerless and weak and cannot do anything to be self-sufficient for himself. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, the more I read the Bible, the more I see this. When we are not worshiping God properly, when we do not have our relationship with God in line, it's affecting other people. Thank you, guys. Good job. Well done. Yes, well done. It's affecting other people. And if we think we are worshiping God and it's detrimental to other people, we're not worshiping God. Well, I show up at church every Sunday. Who cares? Doesn't matter. If it's hurting people, if it's detrimental to people, we're not worshiping God. There's another thing. There's another group of people that the tithe benefited. As they moved into the promised land, this is outlined in Deuteronomy, uh, when they moved into the promised land, it wasn't just to go for the Levite, it was to go for the widow, the fatherless, and the sojourner. All right? Widow, those women who lost their husband, who was the breadwinner of that time. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I don't care about what you're doing right now. Okay? That's the way it was way back then. Okay? So, that's the way it was. If the wife lost the husband, she couldn't provide a living for herself unless she was young enough to be able to be remarried. And the tithe was to go to help her live, have food. The fatherless, again, a kid that lost his or her father couldn't do anything about earning a living. But this was a temporary situation, right? The fatherless grow up and they become self-sufficient when they can get old enough to be able to earn a living, correct? Sojourner, this is ironic, this is, this is coming up in this sermon today, isn't it? since we've seen so much about sojourners recently. Here's the biblical definition of a sojourner. Allow this, as you read Facebook, help formulate what you're, what you're reading. The sojourner in the Bible is somebody who disavows their people and their gods 
in order to make Yahweh their God and Yahweh's people their people. It's a complete cut-off transition. I am living here now and Yahweh is my God now. And so when the sojourner lives in the land, comes to the land, this was a temporary situation as well, correct? At some point in time, they were to end up earning a living. But until then, they needed to be provided for as one of their own. And the tithe went to the Levites, who had no other option on, 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 on how to put food on the table, the widow, the fatherless, and the sojourner. Jesus more generically describes them as the least of these in the New Testament, right? How does this impact us today? And most specifically, us at Crosspoint. Over the past several months, we've been talking about um, our expenses and our largest expense is, the, is, is our building and how much worth Bay 4 gives us. And in the midst of talking about this from a uh, statistical and analytical standpoint, but also you know, uh, formal conversations where we're talking all together and then we go to lunch and we talk about it and surveys and all of this, it's become more and more apparent that you know, we need to cut expenses and in, in, in that over there, that bay over there, it doesn't necessarily you know, add anything extra, perhaps. And then as I've studied this, I planned this sermon, this series for this month, 12 months ago. I had no idea what we'd be going through, right? Sovereignty of God. And as I study this, and specifically this, this sermon in particular, that bay is robbing our ability to serve and to give money to the least of these. This is the faith issue. This is the repentance issue. Now, repentance doesn't have to be like sobby and all of this. And repentance isn't necessarily in this situation like we're sinning or we sin to add that bay or whatever. Repentance is simply confession with action. Saying we are in a spot we didn't intend to be. The Bible says this about giving money away to the least of these. And that is robbing our ability to do that. So what are we going to do about it? Keep going? Or are we going to repent? Confession? Ah, we're not where, we're, where we really want to be with action. Let's lob it off. That's where repentance is. And for, for as a church to make this, make this decision, we hope, I personally hope, that it becomes an example to us individually to be able to say, if we as a church can make this faith decision, Maybe me and my family can make this faith decision in our finances as well. Because our tithe is to benefit others first. But also, God shows us it benefits more than just others. Last part of verse 10. Test me in this way. This is the only time, I, from, from what I can remember... This is the only time God says, test me. In fact, in fact, other places in the Bible, God says, testing me is a sin. In our language, this is what God is saying. I double dog dare you. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. If I came up to your lunch and goes, hey, you know what? Would you be interested in God blessing you beyond measure? Your answer would be yes, right? 
I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit. Not only... Someone's got Periscope going. Uh, not only does the tithe benefit others, and being generous, generous benefit others, but it benefits ourselves. What is God saying? I'm going to bless you beyond measure if you do this. But faith says we've got to do it first in order to see the blessing. Here's what God is saying here, kind of more applied into our uh, time period now today. You ever get to the end of the month and go, hmm, where'd the money go? My money has been devoured. And maybe you're having this, setting up this argument with me in your head, like, okay, great, I live off 100%, but it disappears. How on earth can I give away 10% if it all disappears? God's saying, the devourer is devouring your money. Like, wait a minute, I don't have a dog that eats my money. What, what are you talking about? There's just this thing that happens when we decide to live on 100% that it just disappears. But when we decide to live on 90%, here's what God's saying. Me with 90, God with 90% is greater than you with 100%. That's what God's saying, right? Not only is it greater than, what does he say in this, in this section of verses? Me with 90% is immeasurably more than you with 100%. I double dog dare you to test that. Double dog dare you to test it. But God, I don't see. Uh, exactly. See, faith is seeing the things that, seeing the way that God sees and then acting on it. But the things that God sees are not reality until we act on it. It's faith. It's faith. Benefits us, specifically in three ways. The freedom of discipline. Discipline. The freedom of discipline. If we live off 90%, we have to figure out how to budget, right? Ah! You find the freedom of budgeting. Find the freedom in budgeting. It's okay to tell yourself no. It's okay. It's okay to tell your kids no. It's okay. We've budgeted for about 10 years personally. At our best, we're a B minus at budgeting. But even if you fail, trying to budget, you're better than not budgeting at all. Better off. And your kids start to get it. And you tell them, no, we don't have the money. It doesn't fit. And you know what you're teaching them? How to live in the freedom of discipline. There's freedom in discipline. But also, but also, God wants to benefit us through personal wealth. You're like, oh, there it is, that preacher, you know, give me 10 and you'll find a $100 check in the mail. No, that's not what I'm talking about, per se. But research has shown that there is a direct link between generosity and personal wealth. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're generous, you'll be wealthy, or if that everybody that's wealthy is generous. 
I've been reading a couple of books by a guy by the name of Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He's, a, he's, a, uh, he's not a messianic rabbi. He's a straight up rabbi. He doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. But he understands Hebrew and he understands the Old Testament. And he understands the law. And it, I put this quote in here. He says this, the Hebrew word for tithing, for giving charity, is ashar, which as you may remember from earlier, earlier in the book, it's also the word for wealth. The Lord's language, Hebrew, is once again trying to tell us that these two concepts are inextricably linked. He describes this earlier, that when one Hebrew word means two different things, those two different things are linked together. Wealth. Uh, this particular connection may seem counterintuitive. Wealth is all about making money, and charity is all about giving money away. You may have assumed that the most surefire way to not get wealthy is to keep giving your money away, but that's not how it works. We give first, and then we get. This is why charity is one of the greatest tools you have for making money. Like, how does that work? I don't know. But God set it up this way, and guess what? Every one of God's commands, everything that God says about you should do this has a blessing and has a, uh, a life principle, life-giving principle behind it. Being generous builds personal wealth. I'm not saying millionaire. I'm saying you will find a difference. We went through a church planting journey from 08 to 10. And then it didn't work out, and so 2010 to early 2012, till we came here, was a struggle. We made even less than we did on a church planter's salary. We still had debt, but we still decided to tithe. And it was tough. But from 2011 to now, we've been able to give more every single year. Why? Because we've earned more. Every single year. I can't explain it. Other than God said. That it will happen. Proverbs 3.9 says this. Or says it this way. Honor the Lord with your possessions. With the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Solomon is saying the same principle in action. Us being generous will benefit ourselves through personal wealth. But also through personal health. I've put a link in the um, event to a guy by the name of Michael Hyatt that blogged about this. He, he showed some research about how um, uh, there's, there's some personal health issues behind being generous. First of all, generosity makes us healthy. It lowers our blood, blood pressure. It lowers the risk of dementia, reduces anxiety and depression, improves chronic pain management, and more. Sounds to me that if you don't give, you'll die next week. But, you know, it's whatever you want to take of that. Generosity makes us happy. Giving triggers feel-good chemicals like endorphins, dopamine, and oxytocin. We can literally get addicted to being generous. Generosity lowers our stress. After hooking hooking people up to heart monitors, researchers found that when they felt they were giving too little in a transaction, it actually drove up their stress. Being generous, on the other hand, kept stress down. Generosity improves our relationships. This is the duh moment. If I'm generous to you, you'll like me more. And if you're generous to me, I'll like you more, right? Generosity extends our lives, kind of goes with number one. Um, 
Subjects who volunteered for two or more causes had a 63% lower rate of mortality than people who didn't volunteer during the study period. If you give and you volunteer, it sounds like you'll live forever. So you can take that as, as you know, what, 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 you, what you want. But giving makes us healthy as well. It benefits us. Here's what God's trying to say. Me with 90 is immeasurably more than you with 100. There's another benefit. Verse 12, then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Nations in the Old Testament is the word describing everybody that is not God's people. So what will happen when we're generous that the nations will look in and go, everybody far from God will look in and go, okay, um, let me get this straight. I've always thought like the best way to go about getting money is to hoard it all up for myself. But there's these people over here that all it seems that they do is give away their money and they are happy and they're joyously disciplined and um, they're not stressed out about money and then they just keep giving it all away. And they're okay with that. And it seems like they're financially healthy. I, I don't get it. What's going on? I'm going to find out more. And it opens the door. Here's what God is saying. We, as God's people, give freely so that those who are far from God can come freely. Those who are just checking this church thing out, just hitting the, kicking the tires of Jesus and all of that, we do this. We pay for this. We give freely so that you can come freely. You don't have to worry about a thing except just finding out who Jesus is. Someday, it's our prayer that you end up finding out who Jesus is. You follow Jesus. You get into this church thing and you're one who gives freely so that the next person can come freely. Generosity benefits the nations. Based on God's word, I can give three promises. One, benefit others. Our money will go towards our mission from God. Now, this doesn't mean it'll all go to missions. It'll go to our mission. Personnel, staffing, building expenses, paper, every last thing towards our mission. But including missions. Look, if we get this whole expense income thing figured out because of what people have already given, because of what people have already given um, uh, for missions, we'd, we'd have $5,000 automatically there for missions, and a lot of missions can happen. Second of all, benefit ourselves, I've already said it. God with 90% is immeasurably more than, God, uh, than us with 100. It's another promise I can make based on God's word. But you've got to double dog dare that. Three, benefit the nations. Again, I already said it. I can make this promise. We, as cross pointers, will give freely so that those far from God can come freely and to figure out who Jesus is. The call to action is pretty simple. You've heard it before if you've been around. Be generous first before. Be generous first before. First before what? First before everything else. What that means for us as a family is that on Friday, 
through our online giving um, deal, push, push pay, it hits our bank account. It comes out of our bank account automatically. God in the Old Testament gave them freedom in the mode of being able to give. And this is how we've personally chosen to give. Because to me, it's more worshipful to not forget than to forget. And if we didn't do it automatically, we, I'd forget. And then we'd be backlogged. And uh, what do we do now? And we don't have the... Uh, 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 anybody been there? I've, we've been there. We've been there. That's what it looks like for us. It'll look different for you. But weekly, that's what it looks like for us. Imagine. Imagine. Being a church where people look and go, man, they're small, but boy, do they pack a punch. Imagine that. If we get this right, that's what will happen. They may be small, but man, they pack a punch. Man, they do a lot. They seem to keep giving money away. Keep giving money away to people who are far from God. Why is that? People keep going overseas and on a, on, a, on, a, on a moment's notice they leave to go serve and it seems like they can always pay for it. They're planting churches without asking for a building offering. What's going on here? If we figure this out, all of that can happen and more. If we decide to take God up on his double dog dare and say, I will build this community through being generous. It's a community building exercise. Us trusting in each other to provide for the mission of Cross Point Fellowship. And if you're not giving, if you consider yourself a Cross Pointer and you're not giving, you're not as tied emotionally Finances are emotional, right? You're not as tied financially or emotionally that you could be. And we're not hitting all, at all cylinders like we could be either. It's a community building exercise. And let me reiterate one more time. If you're here just to check this thing out, we are doing this so you can do that freely. Please know that. It's on our shoulders to do this. Do we want to be a church? It may be small, but always packs a punch. That could be us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. We thank you for the brilliant plan that you have given through your word. I just pray, Lord, that we can from an individual and family standpoint, but also from a church standpoint, that we um, step out on faith and trust that when we give, you give back immeasurably more. We thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.